Aloha mai kako, this is Kiani Aniho coming to you from Waimanalo on today's podcast. I'm representing my community, which is Waimanalo, God's country Waimanalo, ke kulanui o Waimanalo, as well as my ohana. Today we're gathered to talk about Malama Aquaponics. And Malama Aquaponics is an acronym, Malama meaning mini ahupoa for lifestyle and mea'ai through aquaponics. And the whole purpose of this program is to find food sovereignty for our Native Hawaiian people in our community. Um, the pilot funding came from Ola Hawaii through the John A. Burns School of Medicine at the University of Hawaii and is presently being funded by the Interdisciplinary Research Leaders Program, which is out of the University of Minnesota, and that is funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The co-principal investigators for this study are Ilimaho Lastimosa, who is a lifelong community member, as well as an advocate for Native Hawaiians. Dr. Ted Radovich, who, is a, who has his PhD in agriculture from the, the Ohio State University. He too is a lifelong Waimanalo resident. And finally, Dr. Jane Chung Do, who has her doctorate in public health. And she works out of the Office of Public Health. Today's discussion topic um, is about how the aquaponics system actually works. And here with me today is one of the co-principal investigators mentioned earlier. His name is Dr. Ted Radovich. And Ted, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with aquaponics and, and how, how that came to inform your present status in this um, trio for the Interdisciplinary Research Leaders Program? Sure. I've been working with aquaponics since 2012. Originally started working with Dr. Kai Tamaro and Dr. Kai Fox, who were in charge of the program at the University of Hawaii. And they were looking for somebody with plant background. They had, both of them were coming from fish aquaculture background. They had already been working with Lima here in the community. We had clearly seen the interest in our community uh, in aquaponics and the fact that they had adopted it. So um, we set up a system here for to investigate both commercial opportunities as well as to create a space to engage our community members. Thank you, Dr. Radovich. Can you give us a little um, about your background and maybe your doctoral research, which could which informs your your position as a co-PI on the interdisciplinary research leaders team. Sure, so I've always been interested in food production, even at a fairly young age. Um, I'm from Wamanalo, and Wamanalo is an agricultural community, although many of the ag products are no longer fruits and vegetables as they were when um, 40, 50 years ago. There's a lot of landscape and turf grass now, but I was in FFA Kailo High School, graduated from University of Hawaii with a horticulture degree, and I worked for a couple of years in West Africa in food systems, and um, came to learn that there's a lot of, um, there's quite a bit of complexity in why people do what they do and grow what they grow and eat what they eat. Came back, got my master's from University of Hawaii, and then did my PhD. And my master's, I was looking at organic fertilization of vegetables. And for my PhD at The Ohio State University, uh, I focused on cabbage flavor chemistry. And 
differences around cabbage flavor chemistry. Um, so coming back home, uh, very interested in both the production and science-based aspects of growing food as well as the community and social economic aspects and that interface that is really where decisions are made either consciously or unconsciously about what we eat. Oh, Dr. Rogers, mahalo for sharing with us your, your past research and, and your background. Um, can you speak now to how you became part of uh, that, that team of researchers for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation? Sure. Uh, I had been working with Lima for a while, certainly since 2012, um, and had known her from her work previously and, and from the community. And, Familial collection, right? Yeah, her, fa her father was actually my coach in Little League Baseball. <laughs> and her brother Ivan was my, uh, uh, on my team. We were teammates <laughs> in the Indians. Uh, anyway, so I've been working with Ilima. And she had been working with Jane, who's the PI for this project, Dr. Chando. And Dr. Do, who created the acronym and wanted to carry on some of the early work that Ilima had been working on, invited me to participate. Wonderful, Dr. Radovich. for sharing about um, your connections um, in the community. Can you tell us precisely, because today's podcast is about um, how the aquaponic system actually works. Could you tell us about that, please? So the way the aquaponics works is that you have a fish component and a plant component. The fish component is producing nitrogen from the feed that we're giving the fish through um, ammonium that it excretes through its gills and solid waste that it excretes. That water can become toxic because of the ammonium primarily to the fish. And so that water is pumped into a cinder-based media. There's microbial life in the cinder-based media that decomposes the solid waste and converts the mineral forms of nitrogen to nitrate, which is non-toxic to fish and is also very beneficial to the plants. And so the fish provide nitrogen for the plants and the plant component cleans up the water for the fish. And so that's a fairly simple explanation um, of a fairly complex uh, arrangement, but it's, it's elegant and it, it um, improves both water use efficiency and uh, feed use efficiency for the plants or the system overall. Okay, Dr. Radovich, mahalo for sharing that with me, but I, I, and possibly some of our other viewers out there um, in podcast land, I'm a vid visual person. Right. So if, if we're only able to visualize what's happening, I can see it because I've seen the aquaponic systems that you guys are working with. Right. Perhaps you could explain how does the water, is the water sure. above, below? Right. Yeah. So the fish and the water will be below the grow beds. And there's different ways to do it. So for, some, for most of the home systems, you have a 180 gallon tank and then you've got a frame that's over the tank that's supporting a eight foot long bed. Um, and then there is a water pump in the tank that's pumping water up into the bed that's filled with cinder. And this is all done with PVC. And it's a pretty uh, simple setup. That water then will fill up the cinder bed 
and there's something called a bell siphon that's in the middle of this bed um, and there's a drain there and the bell si siphon is a very simple device um, if you did a, a internet search on bell siphon there'll be a lot of information for those who are interested and um, what happens is it creates a uh, siphon and a siphoning effect so that when the water hits a certain level usually we set it at the level just below the surface of the cinder it drains all the water out of the cinder so it's an ebb and flow system where the water gets pumped up to about the surface of the cinder that's in there and then it will drain out entirely so you get this flushing of the bed so a filling and flushing sort of like I don't know it's been a long time since anybody's been at uh, toilet bowl at uh, Hanama Bay yeah? Uh, for, for those who have experienced that at Hanama Bay, then you know what I'm talking about. So this uh, flushing effect does a couple of things. Um, it continues to get the water throughout the bed, um, but it creates a very oxygen-rich environment. So that even though the roots of the plant are submerged in water for most of the time, that water is oxygen-rich. And so you don't get root rot the way that you might expect. Um, a lot of plants who like... Uh, fairly dry environments can still do very well in aquaponics because one of the biggest problems with too much water in the soil is not the water itself but the fact that it excludes oxygen and you get a low oxygen environment and the roots need oxygen um, in order to function and so that's why you get root rot and other problems in the aquaponics because it is constant flushing ebb and flow it's a very oxygen rich environment and so you will see earthworms thriving in there and, and other life um, and so hopefully that helps with the visualization. Oh, absolutely. And, and you made a great point about uh, oxygen, oxygenation for the plants. How do we, how do we make sure that the, the fish have oxygen? Sure, so that's right. The fish also need oxygen. So there's two ways to do it. Um, the current home system have, in addition to having um, the water go straight up into the beds and water being pumped into the beds, there is an arm that sprays water on the surface of the tank um, to create this agitation. Um, and so if you imagine a PVC pipe coming up from the water pump that's in the bed, and then there is a T on the pipe with a little arm coming off that has a spray nozzle on it, um, and then some water is coming out of that and that's spraying water on the surface of the tank, and then the pipe continues upwards to the bed and the remainder of the water goes into the bed to create this flushing effect. And so this water spraying on the surface of the tank is typically enough to aerate, keep the, the um, oxygen levels adequate for you know, the few fish that'll be in a 180 gallon tank. If you intend to stock your tank fairly high um, or if you're worried about your water pump um, failing and you wanna have a backup secondary, we will often put in air pump also there and put some um, stone, uh, air stones into the water to provide additional oxygen. So if for some reason your water pump fails, um, the fish unfortunately can't survive too long with, without some level of oxygenation. So if your water pump fails, you have a secondary air pump there that's providing oxygen. Um, the challenge with that is it just adds to the, uh, you know, the uh, electric bill um, mm -hmm. and the the uh, initial capital cost of the system. <clears throat> so typically the water aer aerating the surface of the tank is adequate. Okay, thank you for that. What's a good sign that the fish aren't getting enough oxygen? So the best sign, um, 
is seeing fish kind of gulping for air. Um, and you can, it's a pretty obvious sign and it means that uh, you gotta solve the problem real quick. So it's especially important to be checking your system every day, a couple times a day, um, just to watch for signs like that. So if you see all of the fish at the surface, kind of mouthing at the surface, they're trying to get some more oxygen, it means the oxygen in the water um, is not adequate. Wow, that's heavy. And, and what's so cool is that this system, you know, um, in another podcast we'll talk about how it represents Ahupua, but there's so much science involved with it. I've also heard you talk about um, adding calcium, and how, how would you go about doing that, and what, what is the purpose for that? Okay, so one of the challenges with aquaponics system uh, is that because of the um, decomposition and then the mineralization of the nitrogen and the conversion of nitrogen from say ammonia form or ammonium form to nitrate form is that you cleave off hydrogen ions and what so for our lay audience simply what that means is you increase the amount of free hydrogen ions in the water and that will increase acidity. So acidity is based on how much hydrogen ions you have um, in the solution. And so I think I remember something about that from high school. When they say pH is the power of hydrogen, right? So it's a negative log of the hydrogen ions. So right, it's a measure of how much hydrogen ions you have. And because it's the negative log, that just means the lower the number, the more hydrogen you have. <clears throat> and so lemon juice, I think it's pH of three. Water, typically tap water is gonna come out near seven. Um, uh, and I can't remember if blood is nine in there or something. Vinegar is two or three, I think it depending. Yeah, if I'm not dead on it, the, those are ballpark numbers. So, so the more, the lower the number, the more acid. Um, in the case of aquaponic systems, is you can get pHs, you know, in the low fives for sure, and even a little bit below that. That's going to be problematic for the fish. Um, you're gonna, it can be problematic for the plants too, but it's mostly the the fish issue, and so. Watching your pH is important because as you have more and more nitrogen being mineralized, you can potentially have more and more hydrogen ions and therefore have a, a higher acidity. And so having carbonate will tie up those hydrogen ions, reduce acidity, and the best way to do that is to have um, coral rock. So like half inch, quarter inch coral rock in paint stringer bags. So for you know, we'll have a half, you know, a five gallon paint strainer bag, half full of coral rock and, and put that in. Um, you still want to pay attention to your pH for sure. Um, but yeah, having, having some sort of calcium carbonate, some people will use oyster shell and other things. Um, but the research from uh, Dr. Kai Fox and others has shown that coral rock is probably the best. Last the longest. Wonderful. And is that available at your near your neighborhood pet yeah. store? Well, the the there there may be some yeah pH adjustment at the neighborhood pet store. The easiest thing to do and probably the cheapest would be go to the hardware store, um, you know where they have aggregate etc. And you can buy a bag of coral rock from um, the garden shops um, or the hardware store. Wonderful. No, Dr. Radovich, today's um, interview has been today's podcast has been such an eye opener for me and. I'm pretty sure for the same for our listeners. I appreciate your time. Do you want to close with any last words? Well, I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you today, Kenneth. Um, you're an exceptional interviewer. 
Um, certainly, I'm very uh, appreciative of being able to work with my community, um, the opportunity to work with uh, Dr. Chungo and, and Auntie Lima. Uh, really um, wonderful to work with everybody involved with the project. I think the one thing that I would um, leave with is that um, the value of aquaponics lies in its um, mountain to the ocean concept, fish and poi. Um, not only is it an excellent example of STEM principles that um, parents and children and kupuna can work together to um, produce some food for the, for the home, um, it also embodies cultural values that I think have really allowed it, these systems to persist um, in, in um, Ohana and throughout our community in a way that other home gardening activities don't persist. So it's a powerful tool and um, I've been very um, blessed to be able to um, you know, work with the community and those who've been promoting the systems. Well, that's a wonderful sentiment and you know, as, as we close today, I have to echo and, and say, on behalf of the community, we mahalo you for, for being a part of this. And as you, as you mentioned, you know, this brings families together, not just in the cultural component, but in food. And, and more than food, it brings them together for something at their house to do as a family. So, aloha pumehana. Mahalo for your time today, Dr. Radavish. Aloha. Aloha. Malama pala.